To begin, I would just like to thank you for the fabulous response that we have had on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, for those of you who are just barely tuning in or, or are too shy to post because you think that I will expose you, don't be worried. I just want to answer your questions. So go on Instagram, go on Facebook under Common Sense Therapy, ask your questions, give your comments. Let's have a give and take on this, yes? Now, um, with that little announcement, uh, the question I get asked a lot is, how in the world do I not feel guilty for what I say? Because I have all these people who come into my office and I tell them that they need to speak in truth and they need to speak in healthy ways and they need to reconfigure and they need to change their coping. And then they always text me and say, but Mandy, I feel guilty. I can't do this. Okay, <laughs> I get you. But guilt is the tool of people who want to keep you down. There is nothing that you can do with guilt. I cannot make somebody else feel better for them being offended. I cannot get into their minds as much as people want to think that I do. I cannot. And I cannot make them think the way that they are thinking. So if I show up in truth and in healthy coping methods, then their response is going to be their response no matter what I do. Now, how did I get this good? My mother was a guilt tripper. And I grew up with that being used against me all the time. Even when I was older. I took a class in college when I was first learning about psychology called interpersonal communication. And I really like this class. And you guys have heard lots of these concepts. It's all about the I statements and, you know, don't put your feelings on somebody else. And, and I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is revolutionary. I'm so excited to try this. And we did role playing back and forth and the professor talked to us. And, and I went home for a break and my mom started telling me that she was upset with me and that she didn't like what I was doing. And I thought, this is perfect. This is where I get to practice my IPC skills. I'm so excited. So I sat there and I listened to her. And then I used my I statements and I said, what I'm feeling right now is that, you know, you not liking what I'm doing is you not trying to understand where I'm coming from. And, and what I'm thinking right now is that if we could talk to each other back and forth, that we could learn where we're each coming from and we could communicate better and we could not be angry at each other and we could understand each other better. And I was using all the techniques and I stopped and I was so proud of myself. I had done it textbook perfect. And I waited for my mom's response of, you're right, we need to communicate better. And my mom looked at me and she said, I feel like you're attacking me. I feel like you won't let me say anything I want to say. 
that if I say it, you're going to throw it back in my face that you don't agree with me. What? That's not what I was saying. So I had to step back and look at it. And I realized that people that don't want to work with you don't care what you have to say. They're never going to want to work with you. They're going to have their own ideas, their own opinions, and not one thing you do is going to change that. So why are you feeling guilty that they don't want to improve? That's ridiculous. And that is how I don't get guilt-tripped. That is how I do not feel guilty. And thank you for that question being posted. I think that gives some good information for the rest of you who were wondering the same thing. Do you see? This can be a great back and forth. So give it a chance. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. I'm not that mean and I've had my shots. So if I bite you, you won't get rabies. It'll be fine. Now, I am going to do a little bit of a pre-service announcement to let you know that I am lining up a special guest on my podcast in the next couple of weeks. I, I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I'm really excited about this. And I think that you guys are going to, going to get a lot of really good information from this special guest. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I hope that you are too. All right. With all of the minutes and all of the agendas out of the way, we can now move to the actual podcast. Anxiety. Oh my goodness. Who in society nowadays has not heard the term anxiety and does not feel anxiety like every second of every day, right? I have had so many self-diagnosed anxiety clients you cannot even believe. And they come in and they've got social anxiety and they've got generalized anxiety and they've got performance anxiety and, and on and on and on and on. And, and I look at them and I go, okay, I, I hear you. Um, what's your definition of anxiety? And they just look at me. Well, Google says, oh, well, if Google says it must be right. <laughs> What you're dealing with is stress. Most of the time, it is not anxiety. It is stress. Now, the stress is real, and the stress can lead to anxiety. And there are lots of different places that anxiety can come from. It isn't just a one-and-done type thing. And we're looking at it wrong. Now, I get kids who have testing anxiety. I really do. Every member of my family has it. My husband, my kids, they all have testing anxiety, meaning they do horrible on tests. They do. We have a very famous performer in my state. His name is Donnie Osmond. You oldies will know who I'm talking about. You youngsters, I'm sorry, you missed out. He's still performing, actually. And he dealt with horrific anxiety that would close him down. And he performed on Broadway. He has spent from the age of three being an entertainer. And he's currently in his, I think, late 60s, maybe early 70s. I'm not quite sure his age right now, but around that time. Anyway, and he talked about uh, years ago how he would get stage fright right before going on. And the reason he would is because he was so worried that he wouldn't be perfect. 
He was so worried that he was going to mess up that it would give him crippling fear and stress. And he called it anxiety. The, the problem with calling everything anxiety is that it doesn't help us deal with it because anxiety tends to be a very abstract concept. You can give me the definition for fear and for stress and for um, not feeling like you're being perfect. You can tell me how you're a loser. You can tell me how you have failed. You can give me all of those kinds of descriptions. But if I ask you for an actual description of what anxiety really is, it is very difficult for people to give me a real definition. Now, as part of the DSM, which is our, our encyclopedia of mental health issues, they like to say that anxiety is such stress that it keeps you from performing in your life. And that's an okay definition, uh, but having seen it on a firsthand basis, I would give it is such stress that you put on yourself that you are crawling out of your skin with the fact that you can't do it perfectly. That is what I would call anxiety. Such fear, such stress that you can't function, all right? If you are experiencing anxiety, meaning you are curled up in a ball, crying because you cannot go and take the test, then yeah, I'll give it to you. You have anxiety. You have probably have testing slash performance anxiety. But if you just don't like to be in a crowd of people and it makes you feel uncomfortable, I will not give that to you as anxiety. I have that problem. I really don't like being in crowds because ah, oh, I'm an introvert. <laughs> I do not have anxiety. I am an introvert. I don't like crowds. I never will like crowds. However, I have learned how to manage crowds. And so you see, if we call it something that it isn't, then how are we supposed to deal with it? So if you're claiming that every time you turn around, you've got anxiety, then the only thing I can do for you is medicate you up the wazoo and then you can't function in your life because you can't show up because you're way too medicated. If you have stress in situations, if you don't know how to deal with situations, or if you are such a perfectionist and a people pleaser that you feel like nothing you do is good enough, then we need to deal with that on a basic level because I got news for you. That isn't going away with any kind of medication. I'm going to answer another question. This one I didn't get posted on Facebook or Instagram, but I do get asked this one every once in a while. Why do I insist on taking credit for my ideas? Well, because they're my ideas and I deserve the credit for them. It's not a bad thing. It's just a matter of fact thing. Now, where does that come from? That comes from my childhood. My brother loved to make me do all the work and then he would take the credit for it. And I really hated that. I, he made sure I never got credit for what I was doing. 
So I'm bringing this up because I'm going to share with you my techniques that I use to help people calm themselves down with severe anxiety. Now, yes, I do want credit for this, but that doesn't mean that you can't share it with people. I have used this technique. Uh, lots of people don't know what they do for kids with issues in public school, but they will do what's called an, either a 504 or an IEP plan, which means that they will sit down and have a meeting and they will write down special considerations, kids with learning disabilities or behavioral issues or mental health problems need help with and then the teachers will follow that it's a way to help the kids be more successful in school and as a therapist to these kids i was always asked my opinion and what i suggested and i would send the parents to these meetings with my list of what i suggested and what i said needed to happen and more often than not i would get the school counselor going oh my word i love that can i use that Yes, and I would get teachers loving what I was doing with the kids so much that they do it with their entire class. So I want these techniques to be used. Just don't go and say somebody else came up with them because I promise you, I didn't read these anywhere. These came up, I came up with these over years of watching kids with anxiety and watching kids with autism and nobody knew what to do to help them breathe and be able to function successfully. So with that being said, these techniques do work on young kids. They do work with anxiety. They do work with autistic kids. I can calm an autistic kid down in about five minutes. I can calm a panic attack down. I can calm an anxiety attack down. You give me five to ten minutes, I can calm these things down. So I know that a lot of this is um, easier to see on the video. I'm going to do my best to describe it to you so that you can at least start to do it, okay? If you're not doing it perfectly, if you're not getting it exactly right, it doesn't matter. It's the concept of it, all right? So the thing about it is, what are the things that we use to calm babies down? We use a very soft, low voice. We use a touch. We use gentle motions of patting and rocking. Well, the thing about those methods is that we don't lose the ability for those things to calm us down. Even in just me talking like that just a few minutes ago, you started going, oh, yeah, I ruined it by coming back up, right? But do you see, we don't lose the ability to be comforted with those methods. So I have taken that concept and I have put an adult twist on it. Now, you don't have to do this in front of people. I encourage uh, kids at school to excuse themselves and go to the bathroom because no teacher's gonna stop you from going to the bathroom so they're not gonna question what you're doing. Go sit in the stall and do this in the stall. I said, and when you hear the person next to you doing the same thing, you go, oh, I see Mandy too because I tell everybody to do this. <laughs> so 
that's the joke, right? All right. So when you're driving or you're sitting in the mall or in the doctor's office and you start using these methods and, you, and the person next to you goes, oh, I listened to Mandy's podcast too. Then you can go, ah, you know, kindred spirits. Okay. So the first thing that you're going to do is what are called calming breaths. And no, I did not come up with calming breaths. I just start with calming breaths. Okay. So a calming breath starts with you put both of your feet on the floor and you sit up as straight as you can. Now you don't cross your legs because that actually restricts blood flow and so it makes it harder for you for these calming breaths to be as effective as they need to be. Now I like to close my eyes with them but if you're in a situation like driving where you can't close your eyes please don't. Please do not do calming breaths and driving. It's worse than drinking and driving. It really is because you're driving blind. Don't do it. All right. So a calming breath is breathing in through your nose, holding it for just a second, and then you're going to slowly push it out your mouth like you were blowing through a straw until you feel all of that air going away. Now, I told you way at the beginning that my bachelor's is in music therapy and I do a lot of things based in music. And the most comforting meter to our brain is the three, four meter. And I told you that I would explain stuff about that later. Well, now is later. So I do a lot of things in three with this because it is so calming, all right? So you are going to take three deep cleansing, calming breaths. Now, the more you can pull it from your diaphragm, you're going to pull the air up through your shoulders. And as you let it out, all that stress is going to go down into the floor and it starts feeling really good. So you do three deep calming breaths. Okay. The next thing you do, and I'm showing this on the camera, but... Look at your hand and cup it in front of you. When you've got it slightly cupped, you can see that there are three big lines on the palm of your hand. Now you're gonna take your pointer finger and you're gonna trace on those three lines and you're gonna trace very slowly while calmly saying to yourself, I am okay. Do it again. I am okay. One more time. I am okay. Oh, doesn't that feel nice? Now, the next thing that you're going to do is you are going to put your hand on your chest. And this one is the one that autistic kids really love because of their sensory issues. This is the one that recenters them the best, okay? And you are going to very calmly beat your chest as if you you're beating to your heart, not your panicked heart, your resting heart rate, while slowly rocking back and forth. You're just going to do this for about 30 seconds. You guessed it. Yep. There's your three, right? I like to do this one with my eyes closed too. Now, if that doesn't work the first time, do it again. Because here's the little lie that people have spread and I'm going to dispel. 
that we don't have that much stress in our lives. Now, several years ago, I was taking a CE course and the guy was supposed to be talking about trauma and the brain. He wasn't, and it turned out to be a very boring course, but there were a couple of really interesting facts that I got from it. And the one was, he said, we are dealing with a level of stress in society that we have never seen before, and it is constant and always growing. So he says, we wake up in the morning and our alarm goes off and we're stressed. And we get out and we get up and we get ready and we leave and we're stressed. And we get to work or school and we're stressed. And we have to perform and we're stressed. Where do we ever get a break in this stress? We don't. So this is that break in this stress to pull it down and stop you from going off the stress cliff where you think you've got massive anxiety. You don't have massive anxiety. You have massive constant stress. Anxiety, like I said, is a whole different ballgame. I'm just calling this anxiety because that's what society calls it. But it is the wrong term for it. Okay? So the thing about it is when I get a client especially a young one that doesn't know how to do productive stress relievers and doesn't know how to get rid of all of that tension and all of that need to be perfect and to perform on such a level that they cannot do. I mean, we can ask our kids to perform on levels in elementary and junior high school that we don't ask adults to perform on. It's not right, but that's another podcast. So, The thing about it is these kids need to have a way to decrease that stress in their lives. So what I do is I tell them when they are starting out to do this at least six times a day, at least. So they do it as soon as they get up before they start getting ready. Then they do it during the morning to noon break. Then they do it at lunch. Then they do it in the noon to end of school break. Then they do it sometime in the evening after they get home from school, and then they do it right before going to bed. Now, the thing about this is it's not narcotics, it's not medication, and so you can do it more than six times a day if you need it more than six times a day. I haven't actually seen anybody need it more than six times a day. That one usually hits those increments in a good uh, space and takes care of it. But you have to do it more than just one day. And the more that you do it, the less you have to do it until you get to the point where you just have to do it when you've got a big stressful thing coming up or when you're supposed to be taking a test and you go to the bathroom really quick before the test and you just breathe and calm yourself down or you have a work presentation and you're terrified of standing up in front of people. And so you just use it to calm yourself down. This is where those performance anxieties come from, that people are so afraid that they're going to mess up that they don't allow themselves to participate. And so if you get that stress and you give it out instead of keep it in, then you don't worry about that as much and you look at the situation in truth 
in reality in how it actually needs to be handled. And then you can give it what you need to give it. But if you are this bundled nerve of stress, then you can't do what you need to do. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Stop calling everything anxiety. You would be better off calling it what it is and start dealing with it on the level that it needs to be dealt with. I know I keep telling you that we're going to start talking about balance, but the thing is, is if you're not breathing, there's no way you're going to have balance in your life. So I am trying to get you to the point where you're breathing so that when we start talking about balance, you can actually do the things that will help you be balanced because you aren't this big stress case that needs to refocus and needs to reconfigure, who feels guilty about everything that comes into their lives, who is such a depressed mess that they cannot function and get out of bed, and then you beat yourself up because you're supposed to be better than that. And I just summed up two-thirds of the population. So... (laughs) Get out of the two-thirds. Start living your life. Start breathing. Start understanding that these things are manageable and not the end of the world. I tell clients, the world does not end in a breath. It does not. If you need to close your eyes and take a deep cleansing breath and reconfigure and refocus and recenter, I promise you World War III is not starting in the interim. And you open your eyes and you have a fresh new look on what needs to happen that is not jaded and blocked by all of this stress and anxiety, you can actually function instead of trying to push forward in ways that have never worked before. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you always got. So you need to start doing it differently if you want to expect to be able to do it different. I know, revolutionary, right? No, common sense. 